Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I am your host, Chris Caraggio. We're thrilled to have Kevin O'Connor as our guest. Kevin is a, uh, well, he's, a, he's an expert in many things, but communication, <laughs> leadership, innovation, all that stuff. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk with Kevin in just a moment, but I want to read his bio first. So my glasses go on. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kevin O'Connor. He's a specialist in educating and coaching professionals who are charged with leading professional peers, especially in healthcare, the leaders in healthcare, more specifically, and their physician partners. His major areas of focus are leadership, influence, innovation, and the development of teams of healthcare executives and their physician leaders. Now, Kevin teaches at Chicago's Loyola University and has taught at Columbia College, Chicago's Performing Arts School. He holds three master's degrees and is the author or co-author of seven books, including the most recent, Fearless Facilitation. Right? Did I get it all, Kevin? That is correct. All right. You are are a busy man. (laughs) You continue to be a very busy man. So welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, so let's talk about, let's start the conversation with innovation. Um, how, how you personally influence um, innovative thinking in, in the healthcare space? Yeah, I think the thing that, the, the mistake we make when it comes to creativity and innovation, creativity is doing things different. Of course, innovation is doing them better. And so uh, I think the mistake that we sometimes make is the, the, the one in charge thinks they have to be the creative one or the innovative one. They have to come up with or or they'll, all they have to do is figure out what Mayo did or what Banner did, and then we can just replicate that. When, in fact, I think our teams want to be intimately involved in change. And so when we run meetings, if we can make sure that they are involved, it's... it's uh, well, here's an example. My, my uh, former administrative assistant was married to a chemist, and on Sundays, Dave would go to his attic where he had 21,000-piece jigsaw puzzles, uh, and he would pull it out. 20, did you say? He had 20. Okay. Yeah, and he'd just pull one out random, dump it on the dining room table. His job for the next day is to put it together in between mowing the lawn and having oh, boy. lunch and all that. She said he always got it done at 5.30 Central Time because he wanted to watch 60 Minutes, which starts at 6 o'clock course, on yes. Central. Uh, and um, she said he would call me in when he got it done, and he'd say, look what I did. And she said, I was, used to say to him, you're the man. And uh, <laughs> she said, then like a good Buddhist, he took all the pieces, put them back in the box, and it went up in the attic for another day. Uh, she said, he did this for fun. So one, one Christmas, I said, Dave, the Brits have a new puzzle. He said, what's that? I said, it's a 1,000 pieces. He said, oh, that's, he said, that's the best. <laughs> I said, it's all white on both sides. He said, that's cool. <laughs> I said, it has no border. He said, you are killing me. And I said, it's purposely missing one piece. He looked at me and he said, that would be the best. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think of creativity and innovation as, the jigsaw puzzle is on the table. My job as the leader is not to put the puzzle together. My job is to call the parties together and get them to start putting the pieces together. And that means at our meetings, we get rid of tables. We put people into small groups. We get flip charts out. We get them working instead of listening. Our job is to listen. So when we start seeing that dynamic happening, then, then in a sense, we're kind of like the chef the chef is not the only one who's cooking back there. Sure. The chef is monitoring all these other people. 
So it's the activity. You're, 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 you want to influence that activity, right? Yes, yes. And, and I think asking interesting questions, talking mm-hmm. to a lot of different people. I was in Baltimore uh, recently, and our meeting, which was a healthcare meeting, was at the place that trains the merchant marines. Oh, okay. So how to steer the big cargo ships. And at the break, I walked up to one of them, and I said, are you one of these marine guys? He said, I am. I said, I got a question about tugboats. And I asked him how a little tugboat can move a big ship. He talked about levers, and he got all excited and all this stuff. One of the participants of my meeting walked over to me and said, can you talk to anybody? And I said, well, I said, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah. Where else am I going to find that information? And I think when you are deeply interested in other people, not in a manipulative way of I got to make them come to my conclusion. I think people people will pour themselves out. They, they feel that, right? Absolutely. They feel that yeah. th- that genuine sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it that Dale Carnegie? How to win friends and influence people. Yeah. So it's the most popular book among my 18-year-old students, mm-hmm. and it was published before their grandparents were born, probably. You know. Yeah. So and the, and what he said was so important today, especially with our technology is this personal contact with each other is so vital, and it's really important for the leader. The leader really has to not just manage by walking around, they have to lead by walking around. And asking really good questions, sitting down with the nurse, sitting down with the doctor, and saying, what's going on? What's the most challenging thing? I heard something the other day that was very cool. When we ask somebody, what's the most challenging thing about their job, we get a head answer. When we say, what's the most frustrating thing about your job, you get a heart answer. Oh, boy. Never and thought of that. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. And it, you can try it out, too. Yeah, and and to. you get a totally different set mm-hmm. of words. And it's the frustrating part. It's the emotion that holds people back. So what we want to do is get them involved at the table. And when they are deeply involved and they know there's no, quote, right answer from the boss, that's when I think creativity wow. and innovation take off. Well, you've already got me thinking. This is, uh, I'm changing my way of thinking. Okay, let me ask you now, because one of your books, um, Present Like a Pro, yes. a, a Field Guide to Mastering the Art of Business, Professional, and Public Speaking. Right. Okay, public speaking. I, wa- I want to get to that because I know, obviously, you're an expert in that. Um, most people, uh, maybe even listening to this, they dread public speaking. It's been, ing- I think it's more just they hear, oh, I would hate to do public, when they've never attempted it. But anyway, what, what, why is it so important? Why is it such a skill set to, to, to get up and, and be, a, be a valued communicator in, 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 an, in a public speaking forum? For example, uh, people talk about being nervous when they're going to sure. get up yeah. and speak. Yeah. Um, if they just switch it and create energy uh, and say, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. Now, nervous is about me, excited is about them. Hmm. If I think to myself, are these slides, am I, is my program perfect, or am I thinking instead, is it useful to the audience? So if we take a usefulness, energetic approach toward the audience, then they have a chance to co-present with us. We can put them into small groups. We can have them talk to one another. We c- and when they do that, I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting where people have their arms crossed oh, and they're yeah. kind of looking at sure. and and in a sense they're saying, go ahead, tell me something I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But as soon as you get them involved talking to somebody else, magic happens. And I think people get afraid of thinking they're going to get evaluated when instead, if they thought to themselves of, I'm, I'm going to help everybody have a conversation that will be useful to them. And when they walk out the door, and if somebody like you interviewed them and said, what did he talk about? 
they should probably be able to state the three things that I wanted them to get across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I so to get away from that fear, like you said, it's changing the mindset. Yeah. Instead of because yeah. I, I hear you because most people are worried about being perfect. I don't want to make a mistake. Absolutely. Right. Instead yeah. of thinking, no, I want to be useful. Absolutely. And, and you can make a mistake. Be useful. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody once said, try to make a mistake every day by ten o'clock, and then the anxiety will be over with. Of, of right? course yeah. it is. Yeah. And and unfortunately, we drill this into our younger healthcare executives. Mm-hmm. They have to be perfect. They all wear dark suits. Uh, and and they want to make sure their PowerPoint is, it's as if the PowerPoint is presenting. PowerPoint is wallpaper. I'm, uh, the reason people show up is because I'm presenting, yes. regardless of my experience. I know something that the audience doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And when they show up, they're there for me. Otherwise, all I have to do is send them the PowerPoint, and they could save a lot of time. <laughs> when people... I'm sure you've heard this all the time, Kevin, because of what you do. But when people say, oh, I wish I could do, I wish I could get up there like you. How do you do that? What's your answer when someone asks you that? You just do it a lot. And you recognize, I'm presenting to you right now. You're presenting to me right now. Mm -hmm. So it's not just being on a stage. Uh, And I think when we realize we're always presenting, we can start thinking about, hmm, how did he come across to me today? How did she come across to me? What was a little bit of magic? And you try to get better each and every time. So uh, my first talk was supposed to be 25 people who were going to be teachers on classroom management. I used to teach third and fourth grade. Way back when? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to teach third and fourth grade. That that got me ready to teach doctors. I got it. um, (laughs) uh, And so they said, you got 25 people coming. I said, great. They called me the night before, and they said, we've had a change. You have 2,500 people coming at Airy Crown Theater McCormick Place in Chicago. And now this is back when we had overhead slides. I sure. don't know if you oh, remember yeah. those. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and so I thought, well, hmm. Uh, and I had tried to memorize my talk. That's always a mistake. And I just thought to myself, yep. uh, you know, I, I'm going to f- focus on three things. I'm going to use my slides as I need to, and I'll switch them in and out. But I have to release myself from being perfect and from being nervous about 2,500 people. What I have to say is uh, w- one of my students, for example, is, was an FM disc jockey in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she did the night shift. And I think it was on the Love FM. Portia Stevens was her name. Okay. She was a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, how many people listen to you? She said, oh, 350,000, 400,000. I said, really? I said, how do you talk to that many people? She said, oh, no, you only talk to one person. She said, I'm looking at that one person, and then all 350,000 think they're the one person. Oh, boy, it's, yeah. And I remember yeah. when I gave the 2,500 speech, 2,500 people speech, I was told ahead of time, look in this corner, look in that corner, look in that quadrant, look here, and look for the people that are loving you, that are smiling and laughing and nodding. Don't look at the sour faces because that's going to make you crazy. Mm-hmm. And even performers uh, do, do the Performers, yeah. yeah they, even famous performers get nervous, mm-hmm. and what they do is they immediately turn it to energy. And yeah. when that happens, there's something different about us. It's a, it's a real handshake with the audience rather than me being nervous. I think it's such a great tip. Uh, anybody listening to this, I, I know they're going to get so much from, from what you said. You know, when I hear the public speaking thing, though, I always, I don't know if you've heard this, it's the, and I, I'm not going to say it, uh, you know, point for point the way Seinfeld did, but Jerry always, he did a bit about public speaking, and he said, he, you know, this is years in the 80s, right. when his, his material in the 80s, when he said, uh, public speaking, he said, I, I found, uh, they did a study, and it's the number one fear, 
great. of all people. Number two is death. <laughs> Public speaking is no more. So he said, so in that line of thinking, if you go to a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's, it's a punchline. It's funny, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. You know? And, and if you think about that, no, you wouldn't. And so yeah. you're right. Just turn that. Get that mindset off of being perfect. Absolutely. Perfect is a real problem. It really causes a lot of problems. We're not perfect. R- famous psychiatrist in Chicago, Rudolf Dreicher, said, have the courage to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. One of the number one um, sellers, uh, book, se- book sales in Japan is the courage to be disliked. Isn't wow, that interesting? That yeah, is when you translate it into Chinese, it's the courage to be hated. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but it's an understanding across. of yeah. my job is to try to be as useful as I can. If if it helps somebody, that's great. If it doesn't help somebody, they're going to move on. You're right. But if I do my best, if I really tune in to what my inner expert is, uh, then then something special happens with you and the audience. Great, great. Um, all right, Kevin, let's let's move into f- specifically physician leadership now. Yeah. So, what are some of the challenges that that th- when folks are making that transition from from the the clinical management that right. stage into right. the administrative role? Absolutely. Well, talk about being perfect, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, do we want just yeah? He's a really great doctor. He's pretty average, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they always tell us he's the best or she's the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of do want them to be perfect, I suppose, but we really want them to be useful. And so in their attempt to get it absolutely right, what, what they do is they, they have an opportunity to also be useful in the long run. They're thinking to themselves, I want you to come out of the anesthetic. I want you to have a more functioning life. So when I talk to doctors, and that's kind of my specialty, when I talk to them, it's just fascinating to hear them talk about how they got into the, the specialty in the first place. And their eyes come alive. They get excited. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about day-to-day work, sometimes if they start talking about insurance and forms and computers, they just become deadened by that. So you're looking for that passion, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think it can reignite for them. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to leadership, they already have gone to school. I tell them, you've gone to school, you've learned how to interview, you've learned how to diagnose, you've learned how to come up with a treatment plan, you've learned how to communicate that to the patient or to your colleagues. It's not a huge leap to do that in the boardroom. You can go from the bedside to the boardroom, and what you're doing is you start by asking. Then you start by planning with, so, but I think sometimes they think they have to come in as the expert, and that's always dangerous. Yep. You know, Larry, Larry King, the famous interviewer, mm-hmm. said, um, nothing I say today is going to teach me anything. Uh, if I'm going to learn anything, I have to learn how to listen. Sure. Of course, the ironic part is Larry was married eight times, so <laughs> I think it only well, applies. <laughs> when he was doing his job. <laughs> I think it only works at, at work, maybe not at home. But he, but he did get married twice to the same woman. So, so there you go. So okay, there's, so, there's, so, yeah, so, okay. Yeah, we don't make mistakes. But I think doctors are called upon for their expertise. What do we do? We come to a doctor and we say, huh, what, what's wrong with me? And we listen to, to them as if they are the one and only authority. Now, yeah. some of that is changing because now we've looked it up first on the internet mm-hmm. and we bring in all the internet and then the doctor has to be wise enough to collaborate. Yes, I've seen that study. Here's why I think you should do this. Here's why we're doing mm-hmm. that. So there's a little more dialogue going on now. Yeah. It's not the old fashioned doctor, I'll do anything you tell me to do. And I think when they're in the boardroom, they have to listen to the board and their lay counterparts as if they were patients. Tell me what's going on with you. How can we work together? And I think when they start thinking that way, they go from a very 
uh, narrow focus to a very wide focus, and that can be very, very helpful. Yeah, it'll serve them much better, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Let's talk about um, ACHE's Choice Program, that tailored yep. professional development series. Yes. It's on-site. How does that work, and why is it so beneficial? Well, it's, uh, you know, there's a psychology theory called choice theory, uh, where w it's reminding us that at any point in our lives, we're making choices, which then constitute the sum total of our lives. We're responsible. And I think a, a hospital system or uh, any organization that makes the choice to have this program come in is saying the choices we are making, the people we're hiring, the ones we want to keep, uh, we can make the choice now to have an on-site program that's specifically tailored for us. Certainly when you come to the annual Congress or when you come to a cluster meeting, you're going to get faculty, knowledgeable faculty, and you're going to learn. But wouldn't it be terrific if you could get that and the person that you've been working with for 20 years hearing the same thing, knowing the same vocabulary? How can they walk out of that room not being different with one another? Mm -hmm. And for many of them, uh, when I've done it, um, some of them have worked there for 20 years and they don't know each other. It's just not, they, they, they don't come together. It's like, oh, you're the one I've been talking to on the phone. It's very interesting. It's almost like prom. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> you're, you're sort of seeing people in a new way. They're dressed up in a new way and people are, yeah. you know, so it's very, very interesting. Uh, the choice program is really a choice that the institution makes. And it's telling the leaders the choices you make are the sum total of our success here. And so I think it's a, it's a terrific program because it allows for people to really think about how am I interacting with you and with you and with you, not removed into some cluster program, which is fine, but mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity, it's so much better to be on site. And, and because of the buy-in, because everyone's on the same page, Absolutely. right? And, yeah. and, and the, yeah. obviously you would function much better uh, no matter what business you're running, or, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that people assume because I work in the same institution, I know the chief medical officer. A lot of them don't know the chief medical officer, even though that person is their boss. Yeah, that's true. I say, you know, I was with a group of cardiologists the other day, 45 of them, they work in exactly the same hospital. They were saying, oh, you're Dr. So-and-so. How many years have you been? And they've been there for years, but they just don't, they just don't come into contact with each other. I know some people that uh, on a football team, they were on the very same football team years ago. Then they ended up 25 years later working for the same television station in the same department, and neither of the. And then they realized, oh, we were on the same team. So, interesting. Yeah. so yeah. the I, you know one was on defense, one was on offense, but they're in the team picture. They're in the team picture. You look at it 20 years ago, and then they're working. The, so it, it's it's you know, you know whether you're a football yeah. team or whether you're a, you're a, you're a high-powered healthcare organization, you know you want to have that yeah. familiarity because then everybody's on the same page. Well, the famous uh, football coach Newt Rockney from mm -hmm. Notre Dame, gazillions of years ago, he had a ballet two ballet instructors come in to teach his team yes. ballet moves, uh, and uh, even that is a way for the team to say whoa, what's going on here? And it's more, it's not just teaching them a skill, it's also bringing them together and they're all having the same experience. Yeah. And when, when you do that, uh, it is, it, magic happens because people start to understand who are you and who am I. Great way to end on that, Kevin. Great stuff. Okay. It's been a pleasure you. meeting you and Thank hearing you. your thoughts. And folks, if you would like uh, uh, to um, 
subscribe to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, please do. And don't if you do that, by the way, you, you'll never miss a future episode, so it's very important. Anyway, thanks to Kevin O'Connor. I'm your host, Chris Caraccio. We will see you next time on the Healthcare Executive Podcast. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org.